Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. The reading is 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 11 to 22, which is on page 341 of the Church Bibles. That's 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 11. The word of the Lord came to Solomon. As for this temple you are building, if you follow my decrees, observe my laws, and keep all my commandments and obey them, I will fulfill through you the, pro- the promise I gave to David your father, and I will live among the Israelites and will not abandon my people Israel. So Solomon built the temple and completed it. He lined its interior walls with cedar boards, panelling them from the floor of the temple to the ceiling, and covered the floor of the temple with planks of juniper. He partitioned off 20 cubits at the rear of the temple, with the cedar boards from floor to ceiling, to form within the temple an inner sanctuary, the most holy place. The main hall in front of this room was 40 cubits long, The inside of the temple was cedar, carved with gourds and open flowers. Everything was cedar, no stone was to be seen. He prepared the inner sanctuary within the temple to set the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord there. The inner inner sanctuary was 20 cubits long, 20 wide and 20 high. He overlaid the inside with pure gold and he also overlaid the altar of cedar. Solomon covered the inside of the temple with pure gold, and he extended gold chains across the front of the inner sanctuary, which was overlaid with gold. So he overlaid the whole interior with gold. He also overlaid with gold the altar that belonged to the inner sanctuary. This is the word of the Lord. We want to turn our attention to the word of God that uh, we've just heard read. Uh, Shall I pray and uh, we'll get started. Heavenly Father, we pray that as we turn to your word, that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher and our guide. Please help us to take to heart what you would have us learn. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I was wondering what to say at the uh, commissioning of a refurbished building, Um, uh, my mind was inevitably drawn back to buildings in the Bible and in particular the great building of the temple in the Old Testament Um, which is why we read uh, this section of 1 Kings chapter 6 and you might think it's slightly odd to choose a passage of scripture which is largely devoted to building materials Um, you know what can you say about building materials well actually if you're a member of a PCC you can probably say quite a lot about building materials I do remember in my in in my parish church when I was a parish vicar in Plymouth um, because our church had a flat roof um, uh, and then it started leaking not the church the church hall had a flat roof and it started leaking it gave rise to all sorts of discussions on the PCC um, about the extent to which you should repair it or replace it the extent to which you should use new materials and what sort of materials they ought to be and how impervious they would be over what period of time. Should we, in fact, build on it rather than cover it? You know, were the foundations deep enough to take another story? And if we did build another story, should we have a pitched roof or a flat roof again? And what degree, what gradient should the pitched roof be at? You know, all of these were absorbing discussions over many months. 
And if that was true for me in a parish church, just imagine what it must have been like for Bishop Pete with the Cathedral of Liverpool. So, uh, yes, building materials can indeed absorb us, but um, I've not chosen this passage because I want us to get it absorbed with the building materials of a building that no longer exists, uh, but which is written about in 1 Kings 6. It's because of the significance of the building, because the temple was, of course, the most significant building for the nation uh, of Israel at the time. Um, And um, as we consider the significance of the temple for the ancient people of God, we are also then reminded of how Jesus said that he was the new temple. So when Jesus Christ talked about his body in John chapter 2, he spoke about it as the temple that was being rebuilt. Um, So in some ways, therefore, Jesus encapsulates in his person everything that the Old Testament temple stood for. But more than that, not only as we look at this teaching on the temple will we be drawn to understand more about Jesus Christ, but we'll also be drawn to understand more about his church, us, his people. Because in 1 Peter chapter 2, we're told that we too are being built as a temple, with Jesus Christ as the cornerstone So everything takes its line from this major cornerstone, but it's built around him. So we're also going to discover, uh, as we learn about the temple, we're going to discover things that are true for us as Christian people. So then, what was the significance of the temple? I want to suggest three things from uh, not just chapter 6, but this little section of 1 Kings, which deals with the building of the temple, from chapter 5 through to chapter 8. And the first thing to say about the temple was that it was a pointer to the future, a pointer to the future. Now, it's surprising, I suppose, that a building can be a pointer to the future. There are buildings that are a bit like that. I remember uh, when my wife and I went round the uh, forum in Rome looking at what was left of the Roman buildings there, uh, you know, you couldn't but be impressed by the enormity of the materials that they used, the stones and so on. But, and, and it was clear that they intended this thing to last um, and that the way they built it and the stones they used were designed to reassure people that their power, uh, uh, the power of Rome, was going to secure their future Well, the temple wasn't like that. The temple wasn't appointed to the future in that sort of way because, of course, the temple wasn't nearly such an impressive building. Um, We're told uh, that um, it was 60 cubits long, according to verse 2 of chapter 6. Now, the cubit is 17 and a half inches, and I use inches because I'm that age, Um, what it might be in centimetres, I haven't a clue, Um, 17 and a half inches. Now that makes it about 90 feet long, 90 feet. Um, So what's 90 feet? That's about 28 metres. Is that right? 30 will do. Say again? 30 will do. 30 will do, 30. So about 30 metres long, about 30 metres long. You're the architect, aren't you? Very, very glad about that. So the temple wasn't that 
impressive in terms of the size of building. No, the reason why the temple pointed to the future was because of its significance lay in the fact that it was there in the first place. Up until that time, the people of God had had a tent, a tabernacle, moving around with them wherever they went, uh, and, and that tabernacle was the place where God was particularly approached for them. But now, uh, the situation has changed. Up until this point, they were establishing their position as a nation. They were occupying the land that the Lord had led them to. There were wars and unrest all around them. Um, and you can read that in chapter 5, verses 3 to 5. So Solomon says, as he starts this great project, chapter 5, verse 2, You know that David, my father, could not build a house for the name of the Lord his God because of the warfare with which his enemies surrounded him until the Lord put them under the soles of his feet. But now the Lord my God has given me rest on every side. There is neither adversary nor misfortune. So here they are at last, a settled people in the land of God's choosing, and God says, now, this is the place where I'm going to put my name. It was a great sign of rest having been established. Now, rest doesn't mean you sit back and lie on a couch and do nothing. Rest for the people of God meant the absence of adversity. So it enabled them to get on with being productive, with being creative, with doing all of the things that they were to do as the people of God. But they were to do so uh, with this great sense of security and harmony. Well, it was something, of course, that the temple pointed to and yet, of course, the people ultimately lost that, didn't they? They lost the temple. They lost that sense of rest due to their unfaithfulness. You see, they had been told uh, years before in Deuteronomy that uh, if they wanted to uh, be blessed, they needed to live according to God's blessings, the way in which he showed them how to lead a blessed life. And if they turn away from that, they couldn't be. So verses 12 and 13 of chapter 6, the word of the Lord came to Solomon concerning this house that you're building. If you will walk in my statutes and obey my rules and keep all of my commandments and walk in them, then I will establish my word with you, which I spoke to David your father, and I will dwell among the children of Israel and will not forsake my people Israel. But of course they chose not to do that. They chose to turn away and therefore ultimately lost uh, some of those blessings. And yet, the fact that the temple was there, the fact that they reached this point after so much journeying, was a great pointer to God's intentions for his people. And those intentions still remain for us today. His intention is that all of us should be able to experience God's rest now, God's rest is wonderfully described in the New Testament. Uh, let me read to you this description of God's rest from Revelation chapter 21. You don't necessarily need to look it up, um, but let me read to you what he says here. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. So, heaven is pictured 
as God living with his people, just as it was in Solomon's time, the temple, a place for God to dwell with his people. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. Isn't it great that that vision uh, that God has for his people still remains for us? And it is all made possible for us by the temple that we have. And that temple is Christ. So do you remember those love, that lovely invitation from Christ in Matthew 11? Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. It's all made possible by Christ. And therefore, here we are today as God's people assembled in this refurbished building. And what is it that we're called to be? We too are called to be pointers to that wonderful future, that future that God has for everybody who puts their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who has, uh, is God with man. And, and how can we be that sort of pointer? Well, the more we show the character of Christ in our own lives, the more we will point to something beyond ourselves. So the more we show gentleness, lowliness of heart, willingness to forgive, those sorts of things, those things that, 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 that don't sort of um, point in on ourselves where we say, no, I'm right, I want to be heard all the time, but rather go beyond us to look for the welfare of the other person. The more we do that, the more people will say they're living for something other than their immediate benefit, aren't they? What are they living for? And the answer is, we're living for Jesus Christ, who inspires us now, fills our lives now, but also points us to this future of rest with God. So first then, a pointer to the future. Now secondly, the second thing about the temple was that it was a place of intimacy. A place of intimacy. Um, I don't know if you've ever, I'm sure many of you will have read C.S. Lewis's books. I don't know if you've ever read um, some of his commentaries on the Psalms. Uh, one of the things he reflects on in the Psalms is, you know, why is it that God seems to need people to praise him all the time? Um, and his answer is that um, your experience of uh, the experience of God's uh, goodness and of his wonder and of his richness is never really completed until you express it to somebody. And so we express it to God as a way of completing the experience. And we know what that's like for ourselves, don't we? You know, if you've seen something wonderful or you've, you've, you've been to a great concert, you know, you're dying to tell somebody in your household, you know, all about it. And it's as though it's not completed until you have. Um, one of the things that used to strike me uh, 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 about um, 
when I was in pastoral ministry in my local church, uh, of people who'd lost loved ones. They would say, sometimes I come home to an empty house, having had a wonderful time. He said, but, um, and, and I just sort of sense them there, so I talk to them all about it. And, and their speaking of it completes the experience. And that, I think, is very much what was happening with the temple. Because what happens here is that when Solomon comes to dedicate the temple in chapter 8, um, he doesn't sort of talk about it as the great place of sacrifice. You, thought, you, you might have thought that's what he would have done. Because after all, that was a key function of the temple, to enable people to draw close to God as a result of all of their sacrifices, where they paid the price for um, what they had done. And in some ways, that's absolutely true for all of us. Uh, we are able to draw near to God because of what Jesus has sacrificed for us. He sacrificed his own life to get rid of the barrier of sin that would otherwise be between us and God. He took the consequences of that on himself so that we can have a relationship with God. But actually what uh, Solomon does is rather than talking about um, the temple as this great place of sacrifice, when you come to 1 Kings 8 verse 27 and you see what he's praying, uh, he's actually reflecting on the temple as a place of prayer. So 1 Kings 8 verse 27, but will God indeed dwell on earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, how much less this house that I've built. Yet, have regard to the prayer of your servant and to his plea, O Lord my God, listening to the cry and to the prayer that your servant brings before you this day, that your eyes may be open night and day towards this house, the place of which you have said, my name shall be there, that you may listen to the prayer that your servant offers towards this place. And listen to the plea of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray towards this place. And listen in heaven, your dwelling place. And when you hear, forgive. Now Solomon knows full well that the, the temple he's built isn't actually going to house God. Which is why he describes it as, uh, uh, in his prayer as, as a place where God has said, my name shall be there. So that's where he will be known, but he's, you can't contain him within it. But nevertheless, Solomon sees the temple as a key to God's people being intimate with God, a key to their being able to, you know, reach out and talk to him, to complete the experience they have in their life by talking to God about it, by bringing their concerns to him, by asking him for forgiveness, all of those things. Um, and um, it, as, as you think about the corollary for us as Christians, you think, well, you know, when we say our prayers, we nearly always finish them off with, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, amen, don't we? Now, as, you know, in, in, in those days, Solomon was saying, you know, doing it in the name of the Father known, at the, known through the temple. Here, we say, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the temple towards which we pray and through which we pray. So this temple is a picture of people drawing close to their God through prayer. And for us Christians, as we think of how Jesus has 
removed the barrier of sin and made it possible for us to approach God, uh, we also can bring all of our prayers to him in the intimacy of children talking to their Heavenly Father. Note that we pray in his name. That's interesting, isn't it? What does that mean? We ask these things in the name of the Lord Jesus. And the answer is, what we're praying for, what we're saying to God is, what we're praying for is what Jesus himself would pray for in these circumstances. I've always found that a very challenging thought. Am I praying for what Jesus would pray for in these circumstances? The other day, I was interviewing somebody uh, as part of a panel for um, uh, a a vicar's job in a church, and um, one of the questions that a panel member put to him was, how has your prayer life changed over the last 10 years? And what they wanted, what they were trying to get at was, you know, we want a man of prayer, you know, know, is your own prayer life deepening or or not? Um, And his answer was very interesting wasn't enough to get him the job, but it was nevertheless, <laughs> nevertheless very interesting, and it stayed with me. Um, uh, he, he, he said, um, I, I used to go to God with a list, list of things just to pray for. He said, lists are still useful as, as reminders, but he said, I'm increasingly not praying that God will change the circumstances I'm putting before him. I'm increasingly praying that I will understand more of God through the experiences that I'm going through. And I thought that was a very profound thing to say, that we're learning more of God and finding more out about him and experiencing him more deeply through the things we're going through, rather than just praying, dear God, please get rid of this bill, or dear God, please heal you know, this person, or please stop this particular situation. And he was praying, perhaps as Jesus would have prayed in that event. And so he's able to pray in the name of the Lord Jesus. So the temple is a place of intimacy, of children with their father. And as we gather together today and think about buildings, let's think too, uh, both about being pointers to the future in the way we live with one another and reach out to others. Let's think about how we are encouraged to pray and how we can join in prayer to our Heavenly Father as we complete the experiences uh, that he gives us by bringing all of our reactions and concerns to him. And then finally, finally, the temple was a promise fulfilled. A promise fulfilled. Um, The the chapter 6 starts with a reference to the time when the people of Israel were delivered from the land of Egypt. So it's a clear reference back to that early exodus. Um, And um, when the people left Egypt, they knew they were heading off for the promised land. And God's ancient promise to them had been that he would bring them to a land where uh, he would place his name 
where they would be, they would grow as a nation um, and where they would be a blessing to all people. And here in this passage, we see this great moment of being in the land all together, experiencing God's blessing, uh, really being demonstrated. So all of this stuff about how the, how the, the, the temple was you know, overlaid with cedar, so you couldn't see a stone in the place. And then on top of that, it was pure gold. Pure gold just overlaying everything with chains of gold across in front of the inner sanctuary and so on. Now, all of this isn't a matter of boasting uh, about wealth. It's just showing how wonderfully rich God's blessings to them um, have been. Um, and um, uh, a, a, a lovely picture, really, of the abundance of God fulfilling the promise that he'd made to his people. Well, they chose not to stay under that blessing, um, uh, but nevertheless, uh, here was the promise fulfilled. And as we think about that promise fulfilled, uh, our minds again turn to Jesus as the temple, the place where we meet God, and we see in him all God's promises fulfilled. Now, you might say, well, that's all very well, but I wouldn't mind a bit of the blessing that the people of Israel had. I wouldn't mind a bit more gold. Um, uh, you know, some of these physical blessings. You know, what are the blessings that God has got in store for me then if they're, if they're so stunningly rich? Um, and I think it's worth just remembering that what's here as a visual aid in the Old Testament, what's physical is very often uh, to be seen as spiritual in the New Testament. Um, and therefore, the physical things that they received then aren't necessarily... Uh, what we directly apply to ourselves and thank God for it because of course if all the blessings were to be found um, in material wealth we would be um, very ill served wouldn't we I was talking to um, a, uh, a, a young lady the other day she was the chief steward on a um, on a billionaire's yacht uh, it was a yacht that took about 12 to 15 people uh, they had quite a number of staff on board, including Michelin-starred chef and various other things. And he would, you know, in invite people from time to time to join him on this yacht. And um, she, she said about him, or not about him particularly, but about all the people that came. She said, it's very interesting indeed. These people are so rich. She says, they have everything, but they never appear to enjoy anything. And it's, it's, it's very interesting. They could, they could have access to whatever they wanted and they could go wherever they wanted, but they never seemed to take pleasure in it. It never excited them. They, they never wanted to explore it. Um, uh, 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 and um, uh, as she was talking about that, um, uh, she then talked about their friendships. And she says, they don't seem to have any friends. She says, he, he, um, he, he, he invites people on for two weeks at a time. Um, and they come on in, in order to enjoy all the largesse, but um, that's where his relationships are. Uh, and she says there don't seem to be any genuine friendships. And it, it does cause us to reflect, doesn't it, on what really matters in life. Because what really matters is the quality of our relationships. What really matters is depth of feeling. And yes, of course, you've got to have a minimum of material goods because, uh, you know, without enough... Uh, life can indeed be hell, but um, uh, it, 
over and above that, the things that really make a difference in life are not things that are readily quantifiable. So as we look at God's abundant blessings to his people, what sort of things do we look for? What riches uh, do we look for that are fulfilled in Christ? And, and what we find um, God doing um, is giving depth to our relationships, enabling our concept of family to widen, to embrace brothers and sisters in fellowships. Um, he uh, wonderfully answers prayers in all sorts of ways. And his greatest blessing is to make us individually more like Christ. And isn't, you know, isn't that what we so often what we spend our lives looking for? Meaning in life, significance. Don't we spend our lives looking for a sense of identity, a sense of purpose? All of those things are part of God's riches that he gives us in Jesus Christ, where we become united with him, known as his people, and have a depth of relationship and an understanding of God's purposes and um, discover that we are being used uh, in ways that have eternal consequences that give us the most enormous joy in life. In Jesus Christ, all God's promises are fulfilled. Uh, that is just what can happen here and now. But of course, God's full promises, that full experience of rest, still lies ahead. And that too is given to us by trusting Christ. So as we think about that ancient building, uh, as it was um, wonderfully and um, magnificently built, uh, and think about this building, let's remember that as God's people inhabiting this place, we are to be pointers to the future, that um, uh, we are to enjoy the intimacy we have with our God as we come to him in prayer, and we're to remember that it's in Christ that all his promises to us are fulfilled. Amen.